Amen. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> it's awesome to be here and worship with you guys. Um, I was, I saw Billy in the bathroom, um, and I, I said, it feels like home. Um, we have a, our worship leader is a man named Brandon, um, and he was part of IHOP a long time ago, and so the worship has the same kind of feel, but I think the most, it's, it's the presence of God. It, 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 you walk into a room and you recognize instantly, it, it said about the disciples when they saw these men and they saw the boldness that they walked in, they saw the way that they walked, that they knew that they had been with Jesus. There should be something about us when people look at us that even if they don't know what it is and they can't put their finger on it, they don't have a theology for it, they can look at us and tell there's something different about them. And, and, and that's when evangelism becomes easy because now they want what you have. There was a time when people tried to buy what the disciples had. And the church, and this is not, a, a, a pastor, I pastor, I'm not against, I'm so for the local church. But, but in, our, in our desire to be relevant to a world that is moving as far and as fast from the Lord as possible, we've lost that thing that sets us apart in some instances where people, we can't even give away what we have, never mind people wanting to buy it from us. And, and, and I believe it's because we've made ourselves like people so much that there's nothing different about us except for that, that we walk around with a list of rules. And, and then we wonder why, think about this. Here you are enjoying your life, living in sin. You, you just are doing whatever you want to do, pleasing yourself, living for yourself. And all of a sudden, someone comes along and tells you all of these rules and, and why, why you, you, you can't live the way that you're living, but leaves out the most important part, which is the indwelling spirit of God that enables you to actually live the way Jesus calls you to live. So you've got all the rules, none of the power. And then we wonder why people aren't lining up to get baptized. But we can only give what we have. And so if we don't have that, we're not walking in that, it's impossible for us to give that away. When Simon, this was a man who was used to having kings eating out of his hand, saw the power of the Spirit of God being transferred from one believer to another, he went to them and said, what is this? I will buy it from you. Something that we need. And it's not the Father in heaven who's cut off access. It's always been his heart that we would have it. So I, I do, I, I, you know, there's someone, there's some people here I have a, a specific word for, and that's this. You, you have been striving and wondering why you don't feel like your life looks like what you thought your life would look like when you gave your life to Jesus. And I just wanna tell you this, listen, the pressure is off of you because the call of Jesus is still the same as it was when he called the disciples in the beginning. If you follow me, I'll make you. Follow me, I'll make you. You don't have to make yourself. You don't have to make your own way. You just have to follow Jesus. And they didn't have it all figured out, did they? Like, Think about it. He says, you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They haven't read their own gospels. <laughs> they don't know what this is talking about. Their idea of fishers of men would be running around throwing nets on people and dragging them somewhere. Someone forgot to tell Christians that's actually not what we're called to. You're not called to throw a net on people and entangle them and try to drag them somewhere. You're to lead them to the one with fire in his eyes who loves them and gave his life for them. But they don't know that. 
They just know they've been invited into something by Jesus, just like you and I have been invited into something by Jesus. And he said to them, if you guys will follow me, I'll make you. I just want to tell you today, whoever you are is listening to me, the pressure's off. You don't have to perform. You just have to follow. You just have to follow. Otherwise, you try to make your own way. You could end up where you're not supposed to be doing what you're not supposed to be doing and feeling like it's successful because people know your name. I'm terrified of succeeding at things that I'm not called to because I think that is, that is the, the vaccine against actually living the life that we're called to. You get just enough to where it makes you comfortable and keeps you from the real thing. See, I, I, I know what that's like. I grew up in, in South Florida. I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida. I lived there for the first 20 years of my life. I grew up attending a Lutheran home and, and, and a Lutheran church, I mean, in a, in a Christian home. But, but, you know, we had my idea of God, to be honest, was more like Santa Claus than Father. He was this old guy in the sky that was watching what you did, saw if you were good or bad, and gave you what you deserved based on the way that you acted. We got to be careful sometimes because we tell our children about Santa Claus and then legalism comes along and presents a God that sounds an awful lot like Santa and it's pretty easy for kids to believe in that stuff. And that was my idea of God. And so I wasn't living the way that I knew that I should because I didn't know that there was grace that was available to actually let me live the life that I was called to live. We, like grace is not just like the, the, the make you feel better when you mess up. The pick you, it says Jesus was a man full of grace and truth, yet he never sinned. So there must be something grace does besides just cover sin. And maybe the filling with grace was the thing that kept him from ever being in a place of sinning. Jude says to him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Yes, he's the lifter of your head, but he would love to be the one who keeps you from stumbling. He'll pick you up every time you fall, but he'd rather be the one that when you follow him, you're not constantly needing to be picked up because he's able to keep you from stumbling. Don't settle for a grace that doesn't empower you to live like Jesus. Don't settle for a version of grace that just makes you feel better when you miss the mark. Yes, grace is there if we sin. You know there's ifs and whens in the Bible and we switch them up a lot? I'm wrecked. I have no idea where this is going, but it's going somewhere. There's ifs and whens in the Bible, and we got to be really careful that we put the if where he puts an if, and we put the when where he puts a when. So when John's writing to the church, he says, and now if we sin, so what are you saying? You don't sin? Why would you ask that? That has nothing to do with John writing that. I'm not the standard. Jesus is. He says, if we sin, we have one. Jesus was talking to the disciples. He says, when you fast. Let's be honest, if we're talking about church life, if there's a when, it's sin. If there's a if, it's fasting. You, you just, no, I'm serious. You think about that. I don't want that to be like a cliche thing. I'm saying like really think about the teaching that we've given each other over the years. The expectation of our life is sin. The exception to our life is fasting. And maybe because we've put an if where he puts a when and a when where he puts an if, we've got them switched up. And maybe if we would fast a little more, we would sin a little less. It's the truth. You read that word and you realize, like, that's the word of God. And it's to make you like him because through you know him and through intimacy you become like him. He wants to reproduce himself inside of you. You understand that the spirit of God wants to reproduce himself inside of you. The enemy would love to reproduce himself inside of you. You choose, but you only get to choose one. 
We're not, we're not two wolves fighting. Not if you're born again, you're one lion. There's not two wolves inside of you fighting for control. There's one lion inside of you if you're born again. He's the lion of Judah. He's Jesus. He killed the other wolf. So I grew up in this home where I knew about God, but, but I, I just knew about him. I didn't have intimate unity with him. And, and the, 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 the Holy Ghost was simply someone who was mentioned at the end of the benediction. It was the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know what the Holy Ghost or who he was. I had no, no grid for him. And so I grew up going to church all the time. Uh, and, 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 and when I was about nine years old, I started really searching for something in life because every one of us knows that we're created for more than what we're experiencing. Every one of us, it's inside of us. We're created in the image and likeness of the Father. And so there's this something inside of you that knows I'm created for more than just this. And so you start looking for it. Well, I found it in drugs at nine years old. Nine. We had a friend. He was, he, was, he was a year older than me. He was 10. He was a grown-up kid, you know. And he, his uncle would sit on the porch and smoke joints, and then he'd put them out, and he'd stuff them between the cracks in the porch. And so one day, we snuck over to the side of the porch. We pulled the, ra- the grate out from the side, and we climbed underneath the porch, and it was like just picking roaches. And we just picked a bunch of them, and we took them, and we went to our tree fort. I was nine. My little brother was seven. My friend John was 10, maybe 11. And we climbed up in the tree, and we didn't know what we were doing, but we knew enough to be dangerous. And I got high for the first time, nine years old. My little brother, seven years old, fell out of the tree. We laughed. And my life would just continue on this, this, this quest for something and every time you've, you think you find something, life is set up to fail you because it's to lead you to the one who never fails. But I didn't realize that. And so I kept thinking there was something else I could find. And, and, and you guys, you know how this is in your life. And even if you've never been a, a drug addict or never done drugs even, you know what it's like to draw these lines that you won't cross. And, 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 and people sometimes wonder, like, how do you get here? I'll tell you how you got there. You got there because you stayed here long enough that it became comfortable and then going to here wasn't that big a step anymore. You don't climb a 20 foot ladder in a giant leap, you climb it one rung at a time. From the ground to 20 feet is a big distance, but from 19 feet to 20 is just one more step. And I lived my life that way. It was like I'd draw these invisible lines and I'd say, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that, you know? I'll, I'll smoke weed but I, but, and I'll drink a little bit, but I won't, I won't do acid because, man, I've heard about people having bad times and bad trips and, you know, it's kind of scary for me. And then pretty soon you smoke enough and drink enough and you're so close to that line that pretty soon it's the next natural step. Well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take pills and I'll, I'll trip on acid and shrooms and stuff like that. But, you know, I almost snort coke because you remember when you were a kid, if you're, if you're a, a kid from the 80s and 90s like me, you remember Len Bias? Remember that? That terrified me. He was a, a basketball star. He was, he was um, recruited and, and, and was going to be the number one player in the NBA. And he gets signed to this amazing deal out of the draft. And then that night he goes out, snorts coke, and has an overdose and dies. And that terrified me. And so I had this, the Len Bias line of like, I'll never do cocaine. But pretty soon you've been doing everything else long enough and you've been standing here long enough that it's not really that big a step to just, you know, do a bump. And then pretty soon you're doing rails and next thing you know, you're smoking it and you're, you're snorting it. And, but after a while you realize like, hey, you know, it, I could sell this stuff and I could get high for free. 
And it's just kind of the natural progression of things. It's like, you know, you have things coming through your hands and you realize like I've got connections, other people don't. And so, you know, being the industrious person that I was at the ripe age of 17, I, I started selling drugs. And I kept all my stuff in a little backpack and I didn't look like I look now. Uh, I had dreadlocks down past my shoulders. My bottom six teeth were gold. I weighed about 120 pounds soaking wet. I thought it was hard, you know? And <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, the truth of the matter is, is every one of us looks ridiculous when we're not living in what we're created to live in. Every single one of us looks ridiculous. It just looks like a different kind of ridiculous. One day, the, who you are will hate who you were. It has to be that way. And so I, I, I'm telling you, if you don't already, there's a day coming that you will because you'll see who you are apart from him and you won't want anything to do with that person again. You'll want that person to die so that who you are can actually live. And so we, I, 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 I had a little backpack, I kept everything in and one day I came home and my mom had the backpack open and you know, I had just everything you know, that you would, it was like the drug dealer starter kit, you know, laying out on the table. And I have four younger siblings one older sibling, and she said, what are you doing? What, what, what would happen if one of your little brothers would have found this? I'm like, they would have got high, you know, just being a punk kid. And she said, that can't stay in my home. And I was like, you're kicking me out? And my mom, so wise, she looked at me and she said, I'm not kicking you out. I'm kicking that out. If you choose to go with it, that's your choice, but that can't stay here. So I can't believe my mom's kicking me out of her house. And you know, just, it's so crazy when you look back, right? Like they, we give ourselves so much permission to have so many attitudes that the life of Jesus never displayed. Wow. We've given ourselves, we've found language in our mouth that we can't imagine coming from his. And it sounds so ridiculous coming from the mouth of Jesus, yet it sounds so normal coming from our own mouths. That's a good test in life. If you would put those words in Jesus' mouth and it would sound ridiculous, it ought to sound just about as ridiculous being found on your own lips. And so I threw all my stuff into a bag, threw all my stuff into the back of my little white truck. I had, it, my, all my stuff consisted of like two surfboards, a couple skateboards, a garbage bag full of clothes and jumped in my truck and I'm like, I'll just go to my friend's house because him and his dad kind of shared a duplex and he had his own side, his dad had a side and, and uh, I could probably live there. I hung out there all the time anyway. So I told him what happened and you know, this was before cell phones, you know, so <laughs> you had to send a beep. <laughs> Anybody ever have a pager? Yeah. Um, sometimes I think life was simpler and easier back then. You know, there's things in life that come along that make certain things a whole lot easier, both good and bad. I'm not anti-technology, but I am anti-things that keep us from walking as Jesus called us to walk. And if it's not a blessing, get rid of it. Not forever, because the answer to heart issues is never just removal of the issue. It's actually allowing him to deal with your heart. But be honest with yourself enough to say, while he's dealing with my heart, I'm gonna remove the, uh, the thing that's causing the issue. Yeah. See, legalism says the ultimate answer is to just remove everything, as if Jesus is this janitor that just goes around and removes every ability for you to walk unwise or, or counter to the way he's called you. Grace says, listen, that world's still gonna be there, but I'm gonna come and empower you to live above that because you're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. You were made to be overcomers. That means there still has to be things to overcome. 
He doesn't just remove everything. So I, I, I went over to my friend's house and he was home and I, I walked in and I told him what happened. He's like, yeah, you can live here, you know? I was like, sweet, this is cool. Brought my stuff in and we're, we're just getting high and, and his dad walks in and his dad looks at me and says, how come every time I come in here, you're here? And I was like, because your son and I are friends. And he's, you know, he's drunk and he's kind of angry and he starts just really like verbally attacking me. And, and my friend, his son, stands up and gets in his face and is like, dude, you're drunk, go back to your house. And he takes a swing at my friend and they start fist fighting in the living room in front of me. And it ends with his dad screaming at both of us to get out of his house and chasing us down the road and punching my truck as we're driving off. <laughs> and, and so now here we are, both of us are, 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 are without a place to be, and so we made a call to another friend who had been kicked out of his, home, his mom's house a few weeks earlier, and he had a place to stay. Listen, like spirits will find each other. They will, they'll find each other. It's crazy the way they'll find each other. And, and, and the, the amazing thing about the family of God is that when we find each other, there's that connection right away, but it, the demonic realm works that way. And people are comfortable with people who are living the same way that they're living because there's no condemnation and there's no conviction. Don't be surprised when you step out of darkness and into light if people who wanna stay in the light don't wanna be around you as much as they used to. That's not a condemnation or a judgment on you. Your life convicts them without you even saying anything. It should. Our lives should be a conviction. Our lives should be a conviction to the point that when we get around people, they become so aware of the beauty that's possible following Jesus that everything less than that becomes super obvious. I got, I got a friend, I'll tell you the story real quick. Um, he just, he grew up in a, in a Presbyterian home and then recently just really got got born again, what he felt like was for the first time, and filled with the Spirit of God, and is just pursuing the Lord hard. Started coming to the church that I pastor, we started spending some time together, and, uh, and I started just really you know, kind of discipling and pouring into him, and he called me the other day just so excited, and I said, um, I said, what happened? He said, well, my dad and I were gonna buy a boat, and we made a deal with the guy, and instantly after making the deal with the guy, I hung up the phone, and I started getting anxious, and I thought that for first, I was like, maybe God's trying to tell me that this isn't what I'm supposed to do. But then he remembered a message that I preached not long before that that said that Jesus, you know, talked about be anxious over, Paul said, be anxious over nothing, but in all things with thanksgiving, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known before the Father, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so he said, Lord, if you've told me not to be anxious, then you wouldn't deal with me through anxiety. And he said, the second he said that, that truth, see, you don't need, sometimes we, we, we become ministry addicted to the point where we think we need to call someone to minister, but the truth is, truth is what sets you free when you actually believe it. Sometimes we need a lot less ministry and a lot more actually believing the truth of God's word. And so he said, as soon as he said that, it was like that truth came, guarded his heart, and then he started to get excited because he's like, all right, something else was trying to keep me away. And, and he just thinks this way now because he sees it, you know, it's real. We, we battle not against flesh and blood. If it stopped after we battle not, that would make what we call Christianity sometimes a whole lot more lined up with the word. But it actually says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual darkness and wickedness in high places. So he sees that and he thought, he got excited. He's like, someone's trying to keep me from there. Something's gonna happen. See, when you're following Jesus and you're walking in his will, when things like that happen, it can actually cause an excitement to stir up inside of you. 
because you're following him. And so they go to meet the guy the next day and they're talking to the guy and the guy says, you know what's crazy? Right after I told you I'd sell you the boat for the price we agreed on, a guy called me and offered me $2,000 more. And my brother wanted to sell it to him because they owned the boat together. And our dad was there, heard us talking and said, you can't do that, you gave your word. And he said, and I told my brother, I just, for some reason, I feel like I'm supposed to sell you this boat. And so they make the deal and my friend Daniel looks at him when they get done. And all he knew to do was to pray for the guy. And he's new walking this. He didn't have like this great grandiose word. Not that great grandiose words are bad. If you have one, give it. But even if you don't, you have something to give because you have the giver of life inside of you. And so what you have, you give. You are never, ever in a situation where you have nothing to give. You've been filled with so much that all you have to do is open your mouth and do what you know and then he'll do what you can't. And so Daniel looks at the man and he says, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And the guy starts repenting for sins that he had committed from a childhood on up that he'd never told. My friend has no grid for this. Like literally following Jesus, we should find ourselves in situations we don't have a grid for. Like, like you, we read the Bible and we're like, oh, a talking donkey. So now if a donkey talked, we'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense because I read about that. Listen, like he didn't have the Bible to look at to be like, does God speak through donkeys? Like there should be things that happen we don't have a grid for, but we sense the presence of God and the fruit of it is what should determine whether it's the Lord. Not whether we can point to a certain instance in scripture. Scripture is, is, is our guide to see what it should look like. But how many of you know that like God's not done doing weird things that we don't have a grid for? And so this guy just starts repenting. And, and my friend's like, whoa. And I mean, literally talking about deep, dark things and starts confessing them. And then he starts to manifest. And my friend says, listen, like you need Jesus. And, and you need to be born again. You need to become a new creation. You need to be filled with the spirit of God. And, and this guy's like, he said, you know, the guy comes back to himself and he's, he's talking to him and the guy, you know, prays and, and asks Jesus to come and be the Lord and Savior of his life and accepts the forgiveness that was paid for on Calvary and gives his life to him. And, and so they're near a, a, a pond because they had just tested out the boat and he says, you should get baptized. Let's go. And so they walk out in this muddy water and the guy starts manifesting and he starts just freaking out and thrashing and my friend's just holding him from behind and all he knows to say is Holy Spirit come. That's it, he, he doesn't have a manual for this stuff. And he says, Jesus, I thank you that you love your brother. Father, I thank you, you love your son. Holy Spirit come. The man goes limp. We, we have pictures of this because his dad, who is a, a, a lifelong Baptist that is a little weirded out by his son's new beliefs is watching the whole thing happen <laughs> and taking pictures. <laughs> See, here's the thing. People can argue your theology, but they can't argue your fruit. They, they can argue your theology all day long. It's the fruit of your lives that men have no argument against. It's why they couldn't argue with Jesus. They had nothing to say. They had to make up accusation against him. Why? Because the fruit would shut their mouths every time. And so, so Daniel just holds him, and then the man goes limp, and he baptizes him. And the guy comes up out of the water, and if you see the pictures, which I have, he, he looks like a different person immediately after coming up out of the water. He's at church with Daniel the next Sunday, and he's just weeping and crying because he's found true life. Listen, our lives should look like that. 
where just walking up, not because you're trying to, but because you live in the presence of God, you carry heaven with you. There's a conviction on your life. Why do you think demons would bow at Jesus' feet? Why do you think people would tell, tell when, when Isaiah sees him, he says, I'm an I'm a unclean man with unclean lips from unclean people. It's because there's a beauty and a holiness of Jesus that we should be walking in. That when people see it, it exposes anything that's not and people want to be free from it. Like your life should cause decision among people. It should, no one should be ambivalent to you. No one was ambivalent to Jesus. They either wanted to kill him or follow him, one or the other. No one was like, yeah, he's all right. They were like, stone him, push him off a cliff, kill him and his followers, or they were like, you've got the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? There wasn't a whole lot of in between. And so Jesus would, would do that with all of us. And so, so I, 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 I get back to the, to the thing, but, but I just want to encourage you with that, that some of you are probably stepping out of things that you've lived in for a long time. And you might even be hearing from people that you think you're better than them. And it's because they're convicted by your life. And truthfully, there's probably people who are rooting for you to fail. Because if you succeed, then, then they have to ask themselves, if they can, why can't I? There's actually people who want you to fail because your life convicts them and they would rather shut up their own conscience by seeing you fail than have it cleansed by surrendering to Jesus. Don't change. Don't be offended. Stay in love. Keep following Jesus. Trust him. And so I move into this house with my friend and now there's three of us and it's pretty much just a drug house. We're selling drugs, we're doing drugs. You know, you could do drugs there anytime you wanted to. All you had to do is just, you know, either buy from us or share with us. And people would come all times of the night and you know, you get involved in crime and you just one thing leads to another. And pretty soon you're so far up on the ladder, you don't even remember what it was like to be on the ground. And you got there just one step at a time. It's why like, like I'm telling you, listen to me, compromise, like, never looks like a big thing in the moment. Surrendering to Jesus usually doesn't look like a big thing in the moment, but both of them done consistently over time will make you more like him or more like the enemy. Wow. I'm telling you. See, we all think that, like, we'll, we'll, we all want to think that we would kill Goliath. How, and, and some of us have prophetic words, or oh, here we go. Some of us have prophetic words over our life, and we're trying to figure out what we have to do to get to that prophetic word. But here's the truth. David gets one of the most amazing prophetic words ever given to any human being. It's this, the anointing of God is upon you, and you are his man to lead his people. You will rule over them. He's anointed by the same prophet with the same oil and the same promise as Saul. What does he do next? He takes that prophetic word, he allows that into his heart, and then he honors the written word that was already in place over his life and honors his father and goes out and watches the sheep. Why? Because a prophetic word over your life will never allow you to circumvent and bypass the, the written word of God that's already over your life, I'm telling you. 
And so his dad calls him one day from the field where he's serving, and he says, I want you to bring your brother's lunch. How many of you know at that point, David could have been well within his rights if he's living for himself, and he's living by this prophetic word and allowing the prophetic word to trump God's written word. It would have been very easy for him to say, are you kidding me? I'm the king. Why would I serve my brothers? Have them serve me. You saw it. They all passed in front of the prophet, and he said, no, 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 no. I was the one that God chose to be king. I'm not going to serve them lunch. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. But if you're faithful with little, you'll be ruler over much. But here's the problem. People that are faithful with little probably don't consider it little. Those who are being faithful to the little don't consider it little because it's not a stepping stone to get to where I want to be. It's the word of God over my life and it's the word for my life right now and I'm giving myself to it as if it's the biggest thing I'll ever give myself to. And so David goes and he sees people running in fear and why is he there? He's there because he honors his father because the word tells him to honor his father. He's living by the written word while mindful of the spoken word. And so he goes and he sees people running in fear and he says, see there's gotta be something different about him because men say, have you not seen and have you not heard? There's a way you live your life where you have a confidence that on, the only way people can ever believe that you could live that way is that you're ignorant to truth. So they look at him and they see peace on his life instead of fear. They see a man walking towards rather than running from. And their only assumption they can make is, well, he must just not know what's down in the valley. The truth is, he knows who he's been with and who's with him. He doesn't care about what's down in the valley. And so he just walks in that knowledge and in that confidence. And so, just be faithful. Just keep being faithful. If we humble ourselves under his hand, he will in due season exalt us. You don't have to make your own way. Just follow his way. You'll get where you're supposed to be and you'll be capable of being who you need to be when you get there. Too many people get somewhere they think they want to be without taking the path that God has for them and they make their own way and then the problem is they're sitting on a throne they're not prepared to rule from. David submits to the process and when he gets to the throne he's actually prepared. But it's little things. And so I'm living in this house and life is just out of control. Then I come home one night and my friend's sitting on the couch and he says, hey, you're friends with so-and-so, aren't you? And I said, yeah, like, he's one of my best friends. He's like, yeah, you got arrested tonight for murder. I just saw him. I just talked to him. How, how did that happen? Well, he's selling. And of course, when you're selling, you don't keep all your individual stuff on you because then if you get busted, it's with intent to distribute. So you just hide it somewhere and you get it one at a time so that the most you ever get caught with is just simple possession. Somebody saw where he was stashing and decided that they would take it. He found out who it was and said, I'm gonna kill him. I mean, you say that all the time, right? I'm gonna kill that dude. It means you're gonna get in a fight, you're gonna beat him up, he's gonna beat you up, you're gonna maybe you know, get a few friends and you're all gonna beat him up, whatever, but, but you know, it's just something you throw around, like I'm gonna kill that dude. Well, apparently he meant it. And when he sat in the house with a 44 in the couch, and when the guy walked in the house, he shot him two times standing and three times laying. 
And this was not just a casual friend. This was one of my best friends in second grade, a kid who we were so close with that when his parents went through a hard divorce when he was in middle school, came and lived with us at our home for a year. My mom was like a mother to him. He was like a brother to me. And something in that moment kind of just snapped in me. And I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't really care if I died. Like, I wasn't trying to kill myself, but if I did, like, it didn't seem like it really mattered because I looked around and I'm like, this is life. This is life. And so I I just started, I mean, we always mixed drugs, but I mean, it was like a three-day bend of just putting everything I could get into my system. At one point, I hit a line so big of cocaine, my heart pounded so hard that I threw up. I felt like I was going to overdose. My skin looked like I was crawling around on my, on, on my body when I looked at it. My heart was racing out of control. I felt like I was going to overdose and die, and I didn't want to die in that little house, so I said, I'm going to go to my parents' house where I wasn't welcome because of the life that I lived. Three in the morning, I went to the back door, and I broke in, and I crept over to the hall bathroom, and I shut the door quietly. I turned the light on, and I looked into the mirror, and it looked like Satan looking back at me. And I don't know if it was the drugs or if God opened my eyes to who I was giving my life to. But in that moment, what came out of my heart was this simple, honest, non-religious prayer. And it sounded like this. God, if you're real, change me or let me die can't live like this instantly sober instantly pupils back to normal instantly clear when I look into the mirror a smile on my face because I like what I see when I look into the mirror and now all of a sudden I look down at my skin and it looks normal and I'm freaking out and I'm going you're real you're really real you're really really real and I couldn't stop I was like oh you're really you're real you're you are you're real like I thought I knew, you're, you're real, you're really, really real, and you care. And it was like all of a sudden, everything I had heard about him came into crystal clear focus, and I realized, you're not who I thought you are, you're far better than that, you actually love me. And it was like instantly it hit me, and I didn't even have the theology for it at the time, but eventually the theology would become worked out in me where I realized that he granted both of my requests in that moment. Not only did he change me, but he actually allowed me to die. And the old me died, and the new me walked out of that bathroom. A new creation, born again. I didn't have theology for it, but I had a heart that wanted him because I'd come to a place where I couldn't stand what life looked like anymore. And all I wanted was him. It's all he's ever wanted from you. That's all he's ever wanted. I walk out of the bathroom, watch this. There at 3.30 in the morning stands my mother weeping. God woke her up and said, your son's come home. He's in the bathroom. She walked out to the bathroom. But here's the thing. Here's what, what, what a lot of people don't know. Two nights before that, she was up all night praying for me like she did every night, and especially praying hard once my, my friend got arrested for murder because she realized like the severity of the lifestyle we were living, and it really was just an eye-opener to her, and she would stay up all night just praying and weeping and reading the word, and one night, she said she's heard the audible voice of God in her life twice, and this was one of them. He said, Brenda, do you trust me with your son? And she said, Lord, you know I do. He says, no, do you trust me with your son? 
And in her mind, she's thinking, if I didn't trust you, why am I out here all night praying and weeping and reading your word? And she said, Lord, I do. He said, then trust me with your son and go to bed. Listen, there's times to stay up all night praying. There's times to go to sleep and trust him. We gotta be careful we don't make formulas out of things. He's not a formula to be figured out. He's a father to be loved by. You think about this. Think about it. Even with the children of Israel, the first time they come to a body of water that they can't pass, he tells Moses, he says, you raise your staff. And when you do that, I'll part the waters and you'll pass through them. And the Egyptians that you see, they'll try to come after you and you will never see them again. So they get to the body of water, and, they, and Moses lifts his staff, and the waters part, and everybody passes safely through it. The next time they get to a body of water, he tells them, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put the presence of God on the shoulders of the priests, and I want them to walk into the river. And as their feet touch the river, I will hold the waters back. Be careful in life you don't make a formula out of I know what it looks like to see God part the waters, or you'll be standing there holding a staff in front of a river you're supposed to step into and wondering why the water hasn't parted yet. I'm telling you. Listen, they could have stood there all day long holding that staff in the air. It wasn't going to part the waters. Why? Because that wasn't what God wanted to do in that instance. And he never wants to be reduced to a formula. He wants to be listened to, father, like a father, and followed. And so I come out of that bathroom. My mom's standing there. She prays with me. And I go to sleep. And I slept this, this sleep that I hadn't slept ever. And I think I slept for like, almost 24 hours and I woke up and I was not the man that walked into that bathroom see here's the thing it not only did he deliver me from addiction that night but he also took the desire for it away from me to the point where I've never wanted to be high again in my life to the point where when I had a surgery on my mouth and they prescribed me painkillers I didn't want to take them because I don't want to miss a moment of the life I have in him being high I broke them into quarters and took a little quarter when the pain got really strong and an aspirin and I didn't even like that so from there on out it was just aspirin and then from there it was nothing and I just was like, God, I don't wanna miss a minute of this life being high. I spent 19 years doing that. This life is so much better. It's a step backwards for me to take anything. I have to have more of you. I, I felt like I wasted 19 years of my life and then I read the verse where he says that he'll restore with the locust ate and I realized I haven't wasted anything as long as I keep following him because he'll take everything and redeem it and make it work for good. And so I, I started this, 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 this man, I, I just wanted him and all I wanted to do was be alone with him and his word. I started reading the Bible nonstop and praying nonstop and I, 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 got this call from my little brother who was living in Greenville, South Carolina. He'd moved there for a job and he said, you should move up here. I told him what was going on. He said, you should move up here. There's a lot of good people up here. Get away from that scene. And I realized at that time, you know, there's a time where you need to separate yourself sometimes. It's okay. That's not weakness and it's not defeat. It's saying right now I need to be alone with him because right now if I'm not alone with him and I'm with you, I'll revert back to who I was a whole lot more easily. It's okay. Listen, Jesus was led out for 40 days into the wilderness before ministry started to be alone, be tempted to the enemy, and be with the, with the Father and with the Spirit of God. It's okay for you to separate yourself for a time. Paul had to go be alone for three years to unlearn everything that he learned. Might be a good idea for some of us. And so I, I, he said, you should move up here. And I, I, I did this, this thing that I've done the rest of my life since that day where I talked to him like a father and I expected that he would answer 
And so I've just said, should I move to South Carolina? Yes. Settled. Called my probation officer because I'm on probation at the time because I had done some, actually it was the time I didn't do anything. I got falsely accused that I got arrested for and convicted for and ended up going to jail for and getting on probation for. <laughs> All the things that I did that I should have, I didn't get in trouble for. But the thing that I didn't do, that was the one. And so I was on probation at the time and I called my probation officer. I, t- I called my work and I t- put in my two weeks notice at work. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to be talked out of it besides my mom. And I, I put in a, a notice with my work and, and, and uh, called my probation officer and told him I want to move to South Carolina. And I was all excited because, you know, when the Lord speaks, everything lines up. And so I told him I want to move to South Carolina. He said, well, we can talk about that in your next visit, which was about a week and a half later. And so I said, okay. So I show up into his office and, and you know, I've just, I've got this thing where I know what God has said. So I'm just completely confident that whatever he said will come to pass because that's how it's worked in my life now. It's crazy how sometimes when he said you have to become like a child. Remember when you were a kid and your dad said something and you didn't try to figure out how it could happen. You just believed that it would. I was like that. I was childlike. I wasn't trying to figure out all the details. I was like, well, this is what he said. And so I walk into the office and I sit down and he says, so you want to uh, move to South Carolina? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, there's one problem with that, son. That's South Carolina's Department of Justice doesn't have reciprocity with Florida's Department of Justice. I knew what that meant, but I was wondering, so what are you telling me? And so I said, so what are you saying? He said, it means, young man, that South Carolina doesn't want Florida's trash. And I said, so, he said, so you can't go. For the first time of many times, what came from the mouth of a man didn't line up with what I'd heard from the mouth of the Father, and I had a choice to make. Here's the crazy thing about living with a childlike innocence. I didn't know what to do, so I just did nothing. Sometimes our activity is because we don't know what to do and we think we have to do something. They go up with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, they, hear the, they see Jesus transfigured, they see the prophets, and, and suddenly it says, and Peter became afraid, and because he did not know what to do, he said, Lord, it is good for us to build tabernacles for Elijah and for Moses. What's he saying? He's saying, God, we have to do something. I'm freaked out here, and I don't know what to do, so obviously we'll do something, and God just silences him and says, this is my son. Listen to him. What's he saying? He's saying, quit your religious activities and just listen to my son. You don't always have to do something. So he says... I just stare at him. And I don't know if I like creeped him out. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if he heard God. But I just stared at him. And, and I, while I'm staring at him, I'm trying to work this out in my mind of like, why would he say that, God, when you said this? It should not make sense to us when what God says is contradicted by what life says. That's why we've got to settle in our hearts that we're going to live like Dustin was talking about, by faith, by what is unseen rather than what's seen. Because if you live by what's seen, you'll be so easily manipulated that you'll never be able to follow Jesus the way he wants you to follow him. Your emotions will lead you wildly astray. You just think about this for a second. How many of you, and I want you to be 100% honest with me, and he's watching. How many of you ever cried watching a movie? Stop it. You have, yeah, there it is. Homeboy sat like this, and then when I pointed at him, he was like. (laughs) 
And yet, before you sat down to watch the movie, you already knew it wasn't real. You were having an emotional response that manifested physically to something that you knew before you sat down wasn't real. Imagine how much easier it is when what you're seeing is being presented to you as reality. You better be anchored in something greater than what you feel in a moment. Or you'll be led astray by what you feel every moment. And so I just stared at him. And after, I don't know how long it was, but it was awkward. <laughs> he said, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to let you go. He said, but you better make sure it's worth it. Because if you get caught so much as jaywalking and they run you and you pop up in the system, when they get a hold of me, I'll tell them we never had this conversation because I'm not losing my pension over you. And you'll go to jail for your original sentence and you'll have more tacked on for fleeing the state in violation of the terms of your probation. You sure it's worth it? I said, it's worth it. He said, all right, good luck. Hopped in my truck, got on I-95, headed north. I get into South Carolina and there's blue lights behind me. Exactly. Look, I've been clean for 20 years. I still get sweaty palms and freak out when they get behind me. Uh, my wife can tell. She's talking to me on the phone one time and goes, is there a cop behind you? Because my voice gets tight, my throat starts to clench, and I turn the radio down. You do it too. <laughs> oh, crap. You, 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 you turn the radio down, but you do it way differently than normal. Normally, you just kind of do this. You're like, I want him to know I'm just turning down the radio. I'm not reaching. I turn the radio down, <clears throat> clear my voice, and my heart is pounding because I don't know what's going to happen. And this South Carolina state trooper walks up from behind, takes his hat off, looks at me and says, how you doing, young man? You know why I pulled you over? I hardly understood a word of it besides how you doing, young man. I hadn't lived in the South yet. I didn't speak Southern. And I'm like, good. <clears throat> good, I'm, 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 I'm good. And inside I'm going, be cool, but don't be too cool. Don't act like you're trying, just be natural, but don't act like you're trying to be natural. I'm good, I'm good, good. Well, that was harsh. How, how are you? How are you? <clears throat> how are you? And I'm just freaking out because I have no clue what's going to happen. He says, uh, and he just basically tells me, he says, you know, I pulled you over. And I'm, no, sir. <clears throat> no, sir. He says, I pulled you over because I saw you. You were in the fast lane. You got in the slow lane. You went around a tractor trailer and then you got back over in the fast lane. He said, I, know, I think that's legal in Florida, but in South Carolina, you have to maintain travel for a certain distance. You can't pass on the right. You have to actually maintain travel and then get back over. I said, I, I, I'm, I didn't, did not know that, sir. He said, well, I figured you didn't when I saw the Florida plate, so I just figured I'd pull you over and let you know, give you a warning. And where are you headed? I said, uh, I'm going to Greenville, South Carolina. He said, oh, what's in Greenville? I said, my little brother and a job. And I said, just kind of moving up there to kind of start over a little bit. And he's like, oh. Greenville's beautiful. And he starts talking to me about how beautiful Greenville is, how much I'm going to love it, how wonderful the people are. And, 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 and uh, he's so friendly. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, am, am I high? <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm sober. Is he high? <laughs> and then it hit me. I'm like, oh, I know what he's doing. He's just occupying time 
waiting for the other car to show up so the drug dog can come because that's what they would do in Florida. And then I start really panicking because I'm like, what if there's something in here from a long time ago that it finds and this could be a whole debacle and I'm just like sitting there and, and all of a sudden he says, well, I hope Greenville treats you well. Good luck to you. Turns around and walks back to his car and I'm like, Jesus, you love me. As if I needed proof when I have a bloody cross. But it was what I felt in my heart at that moment. Listen, don't ever put God's love on trial in the court of your circumstances. Don't ever do that. Don't be tempted to put his heart and his love for you on trial in the court of your circumstances. If you ever start to say, well, if God loved me, just stop right there. Look back and see the cross and see a savior who's broken and beaten and battered for your sake. And he did it because he loved you, not so that he could. Do you think about that? It says, for God so loved that he gave his son. It was because he loved you, not so that he could. You were never unloved no matter where you were, no matter how far you went, you were never unloved. And the cross is proof. So I started driving, and I'll, I'll, I'll close up with this because it's a kind of a cool story, and it gets me to talk about my wife because she's amazing. And um, she is, she'll be here second service, but um, man, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I found a very, very good thing. <laughs> and... I got in the car, so I drove, I met my little brother. He says, let's go get something to eat. I said, okay, we went to Applebee's in Greer, South Carolina, and as I was walking in the front door, this little, she's really four foot 11, but she says five foot. This little five foot blonde haired girl is walking out the door at the same time, and she knew my little brother vaguely because he hung out with one of her cousins before. And so Max, my little brother, introduced me to her and said, Roy, this is Patty. Patty, this is my brother Roy. I was like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) And a few days later, I told a friend of mine, I'm going to marry her. And I did. The first person I met in South Carolina was the woman that I would become one with and spend the rest of my life with. Listen, wait, wait, here's the thing, though. You know what's amazing? is in the moment that I'm getting pulled over and talked to by a state trooper, I have no idea that God's delaying me just long enough so that I could be walking into my wife. What you see as an inconvenience might not be an inconvenience, so stop being inconvenienced. It's just a matter of perspective. Really, it is. What, what if we took sitting in traffic as, I wonder why God wants me to get home a little bit slower. I wonder who I'm supposed to talk to. I wonder what I'm avoiding by not being farther ahead than I am because I'm following Jesus and I'm being obedient. And so if he's my shepherd, he's leading me into good things. So I have to believe that if I'm here and I'm going slower than I would like to, that maybe there's a reason for it rather than being impatient and inconvenienced. I'm, I'm preaching to myself on this one because I'm that dude that is like scanning grocery store aisles to see which one's the, the got the faster checker, never mind which one has more people. I'm serious, my mind is always analyzing. I'm looking, as I'm walking up with my groceries, I'm counting people, but I'm also looking like, there's an old lady talking to people, there's a young kid that doesn't want anyone in his line, he wants to get back on his phone, I'm going to him. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to you, he just wants to scan your groceries as fast as possible and get you out of there so he can get back on Facebook. That's your man. But you be careful that when you find yourself in instances like that, that you don't forget about the fact that maybe you're in that grocery store because the Lord has a lost daughter in there that he wants to minister to. Yeah. 
This happened to me the other week. I, was, I, I went out to eat with a guy and I was talking to him. We were hanging out and my wife had texted me and asked me if I could pick up some stuff from the grocery store and there's a grocery store right next to the, where we were eating. So I said, sure. I went over there and I get to the grocery store and um, I grab a few things and I'm getting ready to check out and I see there's one line that only has one person. There's another line that has uh, uh, only one person but she's got a mountain of groceries and I felt like the Lord said, go to that line. So I went to that line, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking at texts that had come in while I was in the meeting, and looking at an email, and all of a sudden I hear this lady say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and she looks at me and says, I'm so sorry to inconvenience you. And I said, oh, you're not inconveniencing me at all. And, and then I hear her say to the cashier, okay, uh, I've never had to do this before, I'm so sorry, and she's got like tears in her eyes, and she says, let's just start taking stuff off, and, and then um, tell me when we get down to where, to, to, to the total. And, and, and I said, wait, whoa, 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 what's going on? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, what is happening? And uh, I said, Are, no, you, you need all that stuff. You wouldn't have put that stuff in your cart if you didn't need it. I'll, I'm paying for your groceries. I can't let you do that. I said, well, that's fine. We're gonna have to fight then and I'm bigger than you. <laughs> Whether you let me or not, I'm paying for your groceries. And I hand the, the cashier my debit card and she starts bawling and I look at her and I said, listen to me, the Father in heaven wants you to know that you are not forsaken, you are not forgotten. He sees you and he cares. The cashier starts weeping. <laughs> I'm thinking that, well, it's <laughs> a pretty good word, Roy. <laughs> it's always a good word, it's always true. You don't need a special word in a moment all the time. You just need to believe the words that you've actually read are spirit and life. And if they come from the mouth of someone that believes them, they're just as impactful as when they came from the mouth of the one who spoke them. And so I, 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 I pay for her groceries and she thanks me profusely. And I'm like, listen to me, this is just, this is from the father. He wanted you to know you're not forsaken. You're not abandoned. And I left her with that word abandoned. Now she's crying again and the cashier is just. <laughs> and so I, I, ring up my three things and she's already got my debit card and she looks at me and she says, I'm so glad I got to see that happen. And I said, I mean, I just, you know, I, I paid for her groceries and she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Before you walked up, me and her were having a conversation. Her husband abandoned her and her children three weeks before and left her for another woman and she was telling me that she feels completely forgotten about and abandoned. Wow. Wow. Now I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on, Jesus. Like, God, you're such a lover. <laughs> and, and so, so I, I walk out of the grocery store, and of course, she's parked right next to me. And I looked at her, and I said, of course you're parked next to me. Now I get to pray for you, and I know what's going on. And she's crying, and so I just, I, she told me, she's, listen, this breaks my heart, but it's a growing trend. She said, my husband and I are Christians, and he's been going to this Christian counselor, and the Christian counselor has recommended that he divorce me. I said, you listen to me. That man can hang whatever sign he wants on his door. He is not representing the heart of the Father. For what God's joined together, let no man tear apart. That covenant that, God, that you made with your husband, God honors that even if he doesn't. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is for reconciliation and restoration. And I, so I said, but here's what you can't do. You cannot let what happened to you reproduce itself inside of you. You never let sin against you cause sin inside of you. You keep your heart in a place of tenderness and love and be like Jesus who's being beaten and looks at the people who beat him and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You let that heart and that mind, that's what Philippians is talking about. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. 
made himself of no reputation. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you be like him. He was able to have people completely mistreat him and abandon him, and yet he never felt mistreated and abandoned because he wasn't there for good treatment. He was there to love. And so I walk out and I pray for her. She leaves. And I realize in a moment what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He wasn't telling me, obey my commands to prove you love me. He was simply saying, look, if you love me and I say go to that line, you'll go to that line. And if I say tell her this, you'll tell her that. If I say pay for her groceries, you'll pay for her groceries. Why? Because you're in love. And when you'll do for love what you would never do consistently for pay. And so I just, I, I feel like I've preached 17 messages in one, but hopefully some of it stuck with somebody. But my heart's really being drawn to this, that everything that I've talked about is the fruit of intimacy with him. It's knowing him. It's not just knowing about him. It's actually knowing him. It's intimate union with the God of the universe who speaks and the sun roars from his mouth. Yet he makes himself gentle enough that when he speaks, your heart just has that little bit of fire on it and it starts to burn. And he wants that with you. He wants that with me for eternity and he doesn't want to wait for one day when you die. Giving your life to Jesus was never about one day when you die. It was about the day that you died so that you could be born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said this is eternal life that they would know you and believe in you and the, and the one son that you sent. He said, this is eternal life. Eternal life starts the minute we know him. But it's not just a knowing about, it's actual knowing in an intimate way where there's union that causes something to be birthed. And I just wanna challenge you and encourage you. This is an amazing place. It's an amazing place. I was standing right there in worship and I looked up here and I noticed something. The joints are all lined up. I've done, I've built houses before and I know that you try to stagger your joints so that never when you're standing in a place can someone look and see all the seams of a hardwood floor. But here you can see it, but it wasn't a bad thing. And I looked at it and I thought, and it doesn't usually catch my eye during worship, something like that. And I heard the Lord say, the joints are lined up. A joint is something that connects. And there's an alignment here that's connecting things. And it's not just the physical thing you can see of ministries being connected. It's connecting people to the heart of the Father so that they live the life they were created to live. It's through intimacy. It's through knowing him. It's through getting alone when nobody's looking and talking to him and allowing him to love you and asking him to come and father you like a father fathers his children. It's being alone and opening yourself up to him. That's what intimacy between a man and a woman is. It's opening ourselves up so that something can come inside and we're his bride and he's our bridegroom. He longs for us to come before him, not, not afraid, completely vulnerable, and open ourselves up so that he can come inside and deposit his life inside of us so that we can then birth and, and represent Jesus to the world. The, the biggest thing that keeps people from that, oh, I gotta stop, the biggest thing that keeps you from that <laughs> is not believing that you really are who he says that you are. It's the thing that will keep you veiled and will keep you from coming before him because you'll be so aware of who you're not that you won't actually step forward and live like who you are.
And that's why Jesus came and gave his life. He became sin that knew no sin, that you, that me, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't act sinful so you could act righteous. He became sin so you could become righteous. So that you could stand before a father and know that you're loved and accepted. He said it. He said, I, the Lord their God, I'll remove their sins and remember them no more. He's not looking at you for the mistakes you've made. He sees you for who he created you to be and covered with the blood of his son, Jesus. And you have access to boldly come before him. But a consciousness of who you were will keep you from living like who you are. So I just want to pray for you real quickly that you would believe the words that he speaks over your life more than you believe the memories that the enemy would try to bring up. You realize God can never bring your sin up to you again once it's been forgiven? He said, I remove their sin as far from them as the east is from the west. They're as far apart as they can get and moving farther apart every second. Lost in the sea of forgetfulness as if it never happened. I will not remember them. He said that. There is one who remembers the things you've done who would love to bring that and make you live by that. He's the accuser of the brethren who lives to make accusation against you. So Father, I pray right now that we would come to a place of knowing you, of knowing you, of being with you, of intimately opening ourselves up and allowing you to come inside of us and live your life through us. Father, I pray for anyone that struggles with regret. You know regret is simply remembering your past apart from the blood of Jesus. Anxiety is, is imagining your future apart from his presence. So if you imagine, if you look at your past and remember it apart from the blood of Jesus, I pray that you would stop doing that. And when you look back, all you would see behind you are the two things that are supposed to follow every believer, goodness and mercy. They follow you all the days of your life. You hear something behind you, don't be nervous. It's just goodness and mercy doing what they do. And for anybody who has anxiety that imagines their future apart from his presence and apart from his face, that you would consider Jesus in every moment of your future, now and for eternity, and that the peace of God would come and guard your heart and mind. So Father, I ask that you would do that. I ask that we would burn for you, God. I ask that we would know you as we can know you and be known as we can be known. In Jesus' name, amen.